Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you, and we are so thankful for that message, the message of the glory of the incarnation, that the God of all the cosmos and beyond has come near to us. And we're amazed by the humanity of it all, that God became flesh to dwell among us, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And so, Lord, today, through your word and by your spirit who is in this place, make the message of Christmas clear to us. We pray, Lord, that all of us would recognize the profound truth that you have come for us, each of us. No matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter what's going on in our lives, Lord, you have come so that all of us could be close to you. And so, Lord, in this moment, through your word, by your Holy Spirit, draw us near. Make us new. Transform us by the renewing of our minds so that when we leave this experience in just a moment, we leave different, more like Jesus, for it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. There's something profoundly special about what we as theologians might call the incarnation. And the incarnation means the putting on of flesh. The Word, the eternal Word of God who was with God in the beginning as Carrie read this morning. The Word became flesh to dwell among us and we have beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But this morning, I want us to go just a couple chapters over in John's Gospel to John 3.16. Now, chances are good you've heard this verse before. This is the end zone verse. This is the one they put on signs and hold up on TV, or at least they did when I was a kid and I was watching football, right? John 3.16, at one time, the most recognized, the most memorized verse in the entire Bible. And I bet you can call it to mind right now. In fact, let me quote it. I'm going to quote it in the King James because, you know, there's a right way to do things. And, and, uh, and, and let's just see. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, that's the verse we're going to look at today. We're going to look at it in ESV. And if you're in the room and you need a Bible, there is a red Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And John 3.16 is on page 888 page 888, but we want to ask the question today, why did Jesus come? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why is this such a big deal? Well, the reason it's such a big deal is because through the Christmas story, we are reminded that God has come near to us. You say, well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me. But let me tell you how big of a deal this is. We're talking about Almighty God. He is our creator. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And then God said. And when God began speaking, and God began saying, let there be, then creation happened. That God is our great creator, that he created all that there is. God is the reason when you stand next to the Grand Canyon, your breath is taken away. God is the reason that when you stand next to the ocean, you feel so small. 
God is the reason that when you go out to places like Colorado where there's not a whole lot of light pollution and you look up into the night sky and you see that the stars are not dots, but they are vast swaths of light from all over the universe that are reaching us. He's the one who did all that. And he did it with a word. But not only is God the creator of the cosmos, he's the creator of you. Whether you admit it or not, whether you believe it or not, the Bible says about you that God knit you together inside your mother's womb. He made you on purpose, with purpose, and, and, and really that purpose was so that you could know him and that by your life you could bring him glory. God made you and you are wonderful. Now, we have all marred how wonderful we were made, and we've done that by sin. We have turned away from God. We decided that his ways were too restrictive, and so we wanted to do it ourselves, wanted to do it our own way. God, I know you said, but here's what I think. And how many of you have lived long enough to realize that doing what you think instead of what God said doesn't end well? It doesn't. But we turned away from him. We decided we wanted to do it our way instead of his. So we turned away from our creator, the one who put us together, and he is also our sustainer. He's the one who holds us together. Uh, literally, he holds us together. If God were to stop being God, everything would fall apart. And I'm not just talking about everything in our lives would fall apart. I'm talking about our, our cells would fall apart. Our subcellular structures would fall apart. Our subatomic particles would fall apart. The Bible says God is our sustainer, that he holds everything together, and he holds us together. So if he were to stop, it would all literally fall apart. But we turned away from our creator and our sustainer to do it our own way. And so we needed a redeemer. We needed someone to come and pay for our sin because the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. What we earn for doing it our own way instead of God's way is death and separation from God's goodness in a very real and very ugly place called hell. That's the bad news. But God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for anybody. And we'll see proof of that today. But God, who is our creator and who is our sustainer and who is our provider and who is our Lord and master and who will judge us. Did you realize that? The Bible says everybody's got to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all give an account to God. And, and if we say, Lord, we don't agree with your standard, it won't matter. Some of y'all just finished a semester. Did anybody argue grades? Some of you are professors in here. We have professors at the seminary level. We have professors at the college level. We have a college president in the room with us today. I promise you there have been some grade negotiations that have happened lately. And you know, when you go to your professor and say, I think I ought to have gotten this grade, and your professor disagrees, guess who wins? Well, the same thing is going to be true on the Day of Judgment. We go to God and say, well, I think it ought to be this. And God said, I've said from the beginning of time that it was this. I'm sorry you feel that way, but I win. So God is our judge, and he has the right to be our judge, for he is our maker, and he is our sustainer, and he is our provider. And he has so loved us that he's given us the opportunity for redemption. And that's where John 3.16 comes in. So if you're taking notes there in your bulletin in that center leaflet, I want to give you this theme. God decided 
to send his son so our lives can be transformed. God decided to send his son so that our lives can be transformed. Let me give you the whole verse again, and then we're going to walk piece by piece through it. The apostle John writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit saying this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just from that first little section, we'll call that John 3, 16a. For God so loved the world, we learned something remarkable. And this is your first point. God decided to love us. Now, if you're like me, you might have had the thought at some point when you recognize everything you've done. How many of y'all have done some things that God would not have been pleased with? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise both of mine, right? I've done a lot of things that God was not pleased with. I still find myself stumbling into things that God's not real pleased with. And sometimes I wonder, why in the world does God love me? Maybe you've wondered that too. Well, here's the answer. Because he decided to. That is the only reason God loves us. He doesn't love us because we were lovable. If you want to find out just how unlovable you are, get married. Yeah. I say often that anybody that's been married at least 10 minutes knows marriage can be tough sometimes. Because all of a sudden the fairy tale fades into the reality of life and somebody's got to pick that sock up off the floor and why is it there in the first place anyway? Somebody's got to buy groceries. Sometimes you go to the grocery and you buy milk that you've been buying for years, but now it stinks, and so you got to find a new milk. Do you know how big of a deal it is to try to find a new brand of milk? Every morning, you ought to brush your teeth. And I have literally, in my office over the years, had couples come to me for marriage counseling, and it was triggered by the fact that they could not agree on the brand of toothpaste they would use. And so here's my really brilliant solution. It's not that expensive. Buy two different brands and quit fighting. Now, God didn't love us because we're just so lovable. God loved us because he decided to, in spite of the fact that we're so unlovable sometimes. In the original language, this verse is um, in Greek, in, in which the Bible was written, in the New Testament was written. It says, Hutoskar egapesen hotheos ton kosmon. Agapason, that is the aorist, indicative, active, third-person conjugation of agapao. You say, what's that mean? Agape. You've heard that term, agape, love. It's the kind of love with which God loves us. What's special about agape love? It's unconditional. In other words, it is not given as the result of a condition, but it is given as the result of the decision of the one who loves to love. I think about my kids. I have a 15-year-old and an 11-year-old. I love them dearly. But that prefrontal cortex development in my 15-year-old is testing all of us just a little bit. Y'all remember being teenagers, right? Your brain's literally still forming. And there are times when I don't like my children. And there are even more times when they don't like me. Kids, did you? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever not liked your parents? Well, let me 
let me break through the mystery. They don't like you all the time either, but they love you. And did you know there's nothing you can do to make them stop loving you no matter how hard you try? They're going to love you no matter what. Even if you don't want them to, they don't care. They're going to love you anyway. They love you because it is a love that is conditioned solely upon their decision to love you. Well, God's love is even deeper than that. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we started to get better, Christ died for us. Not once we decided to get in church, Christ died for us. Not once we decided that we'd go with our loved one's parents to Christmas Eve morning service that time. No, while we were still sinners, that's when God decided to love us. So, the first point is God decided to love us, but now let's look at the second part of that verse, the second little phrase. We'll call this John 3, 16b, that he gave his only son. Our second point, God decided to send his son for us. Maybe having learned that God loves you, you might ask yourself the question, well, how does God show his love for me? And the ultimate way in which God shows his love for us is by sending his son for us. He gave his son over to life in a sin-fallen world, to false charges that they couldn't even get to agree, to mocking, to scourging, to humiliation, and to death on an old rugged cross. He gave him over for us. He so loved you that he sent his son for you. And everything Jesus endured, he endured to the glory of God the Father for you and me. Because our sin had separated us from God and there was no way that we could make up that distance that we had built between us and God. So God moved to cover the distance himself. With both Stella and Kenton, you heard me ask, do you believe that you sinned, that you broke God's rules, and that by sinning, you separated yourself from God? And I, I can't help but do this with my hands. You separated yourself from God. All of us have separated ourselves from God. And there was nothing we could do to make up the distance of that separation. We couldn't fix it. We couldn't do enough good deeds. We couldn't give enough money. We couldn't be in church enough. We couldn't go through enough religious tradition enough. There's nothing we could do to cover that distance. And so God in his great love for us, when we were utterly helpless and utterly hopeless, sent his son so that he would cover that distance himself, so that he would cover that distance for us. We couldn't, so he did. And I'm going to tell you, that differentiates Christianity from every other world religion. Every other world religion says, you have sinned, do something to fix it. Do good deeds, observe religious practices, give money, take special trips, fix it. Walk little old ladies across the street, fix it. Every other religion says, fix it. 
But the reason Christmas is so special is because in, in the Christmas story, God moved to fix it for us. We couldn't. So we were separated from him, dead in our sin and trespasses, and he showed his love for us by sending his son to save us. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10 say, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? That's a big word. It's an important word. It means that we deserved the wrath of God for our sin. That's real. That's true. You go back and you read the Old Testament. Go back and read in Leviticus. Incidentally, God hasn't canceled that. He upholded it. Jesus came not to destroy the law or to abolish it, but to fulfill it. You go back and read that list. It's not 10 commandments. It's 613 commandments. That's how many we've broken. So because of that, we deserved the righteous wrath of God for our sin. Because God is completely holy and just, and he cannot just let it go. So what did he do? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What in the world does that mean? It means that the wrath of God was averted from us to a substitute. The wrath of God that we earned was diverted from us to Jesus. And it was poured out on him instead. The way that I ask this for kids who are learning about what it means to give their, give their lives to Jesus is if you have a sibling at home, and chances are pretty good, you probably have rules at home. Let's say that your parents and your sibling walked into the room and you were breaking one of the rules. Let's say one of those rules is don't take the glasses from the kitchen and throw them against the wall and shatter them. And your parents and your sibling walked in and saw you throwing a glass at the wall and shattering it. You were caught red-handed. Everybody knew you did it, you knew you did it too. What would happen? And the kids always get real sheepish and they're like, well, I'd get in trouble. Yeah, you'd be punished somehow. Now it works really well to take phones away because, I mean, that's like oxygen to kids these days. Take your phone away for a week. No, no, I'm so sorry. And I asked the kids, what if at that point your sibling went to your parents and said, you know, we all know he was throwing the glasses against the wall. We all saw him shatter. We know he's guilty. We know he deserves to be punished. But here's what I want you to do. Punish me instead. Don't punish him. And then I always ask him, do you think your sibling would do that for you? And 10 out of 10 times they go, no. And I said, well, my kids wouldn't do that for each other either. But then I'm able to say, but that's exactly what Jesus did. He took our punishment for us. That's the cross. It's one of the most important things we can understand is that at the cross, Jesus bore our sin in our place on that tree. By his wounds, we have been healed. How did God show his love for us? Well, he, he sent his son for us. So the second point is God decided to send his son for us. And now let's look at the, the, the last part of the verse. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, here it is, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The third point, God decided to reveal himself to us. God decided to reveal himself to us. What does God want for me? You might have asked before, what does God want from me? But you ever wondered, what does God want for me? What God wants for you is the very best. And the very best is him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to live life with the knowledge that he is with you and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you because the time is coming. You're going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And he wants you to know you don't have to fear when you do. For he's with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But the whole point that he came was so that we might know him, that we might be in relationship with him. He gives us the most precious gift of all, and that is the gift of himself through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he does it so that whosoever that believeth in him shall not perish. So, are there people who go to hell? Yes. Are there people who choose to pay the price for their own sin? Yes. There's a million reasons why they choose to pay the price for their own sin, but yes, there are people who choose not to receive the gift of Almighty God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's real. But to whosoever that believeth in him who receives that precious gift of everlasting life and forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ, they shall not perish. Some of y'all are going to have a bittersweet Christmas celebration this year. Gonna be somebody missing. And I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that you're gonna have to walk that journey and I'm so sorry that we live in a sin-fallen world where all of us at one point or another have to walk that journey. But God in his great love for us wants us to know that we don't have to walk that journey alone. He wants us to know that if our loved one is in Christ, they're doing just fine. I don't know what Christmas time in heaven looks like, but I've seen Bethlehem and that was pretty cool, so I bet heaven's even better. If they're in Christ, they're just fine and God hasn't left you as an orphan to navigate this by yourself. He'll see you through. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our fourth point. God decided to receive us through Christ. God decided to receive us through Christ. For our sake, God made him sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, through Jesus Christ, opens his arms to all of us and says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Incidentally, though he has died on a cross and risen from a grave and ascended unto heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, Jesus' arms are still open to receive anybody who will come to him. Turning away from a lifestyle of sin and coming by faith to Jesus Christ, he'll receive us. That's what he does. And the Bible says in John 10 that if we come to him, that he has us in his hand and he will not ever let us go. Further, it says that nothing can snatch us away 
from his grip. So through Jesus, God decided to receive us. But it didn't stop there. Go back with me to what we call part A. For God so loved the world. Well, he still so loves the world. So much so that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our fifth and final point is this. God decided to send us. S-E-N-D. Send us. So that everybody else might know there's a God in the heavens who is their maker, their sustainer, and their provider. The one who holds them together at the most intricate of levels and whose arms are open to receive them because he still so loves the world that whosoever believeth in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life. And so this Christmas, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to let other people see the light of Christ shine through you. We handed Stella and Kenton candles this morning as they walked out of the baptistry. If you come back tonight, we'll hand you a candle to symbolize the light of Jesus Christ that shines through all of those who have turned away from sin to receive him so that the world might know that Almighty God desires to be in relationship with them, to hold them in his hand, and to let them feel his love forever. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.